When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I'm your host, Connor Bromley. I'm joined today by Ned Keating. And Ned, there's, well, there's quite a lot happening in the transfer world, but we'll start with Declan Rice. The summer transfer saga could have a an early ending, an ending before the start of July. What does Declan Rice bring to Arsenal as a player if that move is to happen? It's always nice when the news comes out just before we uh, we start to record rather than the usual uh, that happens wherein uh, that it comes out after it. So yeah, just before I think about half an hour before uh, we went live this morning. The news coming out that Manchester City uh, had little interest in matching Arsenal's. What is it? I had a total of a hundred and five million pound bid, isn't it, for for Declan Rice? Uh, so thank you to all parties involved for making sure that we could at least uh, be up to date and live and and not having to uh, scrap this whole podcast as we might otherwise had to in case uh, that news didn't come out beforehand. But what will he bring to Arsenal? Um, he's a, he's a, he probably in terms of that midfield that Arsenal are looking to to revamp this I mean you know we're talking about departures for Thomas Partey and we're talking about departures for Granit Xhaka you might ordinarily think that Declan Rice is the Thomas Partey replacement someone to break up the player and kind of win the ball back um, uh, and do that job because of what we've kind of come to expect of him at West Ham but what we've seen is that he can carry the ball forward well quite well and and you know decent passer um, good finisher as well, you know, showing it at times. Obviously, that that goal against Genk in the Europa Conference League as well, highlighting his ability not just to run at the ball, but, but also finish as well. Which then kind of makes you think: Is he coming in for the Granite Xhaka role instead? They they're looking to uh, move Granite Xhaka on this summer. Uh, by Leverkusen, I think we're interested in him as well. Obviously, Roma were, were in for him last year, and he came in and uh, stayed at Arsenal, sorry, and, and had a phenomenal season for them. Um, and so Rice you know, offers the option to kind of fill a couple of roles that Arsenal perhaps looking to fill this summer with players potentially moving on as they look to kind of reinvigorate a squad that did come second in the Premier League last year. 
Uh, and Rice has the option of being that kind of, uh, you know, either that ball winner in midfield or, or perhaps what you kind of almost turn that water carrier role as well to kind of come in and, and take the ball forward and, 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 you know, get Arsenal going on the front foot. Um, you know, there, there has always been this talk about, and, and I'm sure we'll come onto this perhaps in a bit more detail later, but there's always been this talk about Declan Rice uh, needing more goals in his game. But I think that will come with the move to Arsenal. Um, and especially if he does take on that Granit Xhaka role, we saw how much more involved in the final third Granit Xhaka was for Arsenal this year, um, how his goal involvement's increased exponentially. And you kind of saw a different game to him. Um, and it kind of unlocked him and, and kind of maybe played into his... Uh, into his strengths perhaps a little bit more than, than when he was fielded a little bit deeper. Uh, and with Rice as well, we might see that. We, you know, as I said there, we've seen glimpses. He's a technically good player. Um, you know, he's, he's taken the ball, carried the ball from deep on a few times to West Ham that we've seen and, and kind of those clips have been talked about on social media quite a lot. Um, so he can he can bring that to the midfield. Um, but he, yeah, he, he gives that option of kind of covering a couple of, of, of players that may be moving on for after this summer. That's not to say that they're just going to rest on Rice. They'll go out and get a few more. But, he has that option of kind of playing in a couple of positions for them at least. Do you think Arsenal are looking at Rice in the way he plays for England as well? Because at West Ham, you know, with all due respect to West Ham, but they're uh, this past season, a bottom end Premier League team really struggled. I know they won the Europa Conference League, but in the Premier League, they did really struggle. But England are one of the better teams in international football and Rice has done a very good job playing in Gareth Southgate's team. So do you think this has got as much to do with how well Rice has done internationally as well as how well he's done at West Ham. Absolutely. I think in terms of the kind of sample size that you'd have for Declan Rice in the in the top end high quality games, you know, we can't, we, yes, you know, West Ham played in the European final and, and there's kind of, there's more kind of mental pressures that, that come with that perhaps and he dealt with those greatly. But in terms of kind of playing at the elite level, can we throw in, you know, look at that final four that were in the Europa League last year when West Ham got to the semi-finals, you know, it was Eintracht Frankfurt, Rangers and, and RB Leipzig alongside West Ham. We can't really argue that that those four are, are regularly in the elite of European football. So in terms of that sample size of, you know, Declan Rice proving himself against uh, better players, greater players and, and top level high-end players in, in high quality matches. Yes, that, that comes from his games for England in, you know, major European competitions. Uh, and equally as well, he does play that slightly different role for England uh, and especially during the World Cup where Calvin Phillips wasn't involved. I think during the Euros, they kind of seem to rotate. One would sit, one would hold almost like the Lampard and, and Gerard thing that we used to joke about years in years gone by, uh, about one sitting and one one going. Uh, but whereas in the World Cup in Qatar, I think he was more you know, kind of where they played Jordan Henderson in that role alongside him in midfield. He, Rice was given more freedom to to go forward and and we could see that. And again, that probably interested Arsenal as well. They probably thought, oh, we like this. And we like that he's doing it in the company that he's doing it in as well. You know, you can, it's all well and good doing it. And, and again, you know, the greatest respects to Genk, but it's all well and good, you know, carrying the ball from deep and scoring a goal against them. But it's another step up now for Arsenal competing for them. And they would have seen what he did in the World Cup for England. And again, in the Euros last summer, when they got to the final, admittedly, they didn't win it. But they would have seen these performances at the, at the higher end of European uh, international competition. And they would have thought, you know, this this guy can perhaps do a job for us when we get back into the Champions League now that they're there and, and now that they're challenging for titles as well. Transfer fee, uh, we talked a little bit about this off air, but 100 million, about over 100 million. Is it worth it? You know, are, are we talking about a player that's in the the top, top, top levels? I mean, this is a Jude Bellingham level fee. Is he 
at that level, especially, I know he's not old, but his age, you know, he's probably not going to drastically improve. He's in his mid-20s. So, where's he, 24 at the minute? I'd say there's still a window there for him to to improve. Um, I, I think to say, you know, that, that players at the age of 24 are kind of done with their improvements altogether. I know you're not saying that, you know, we won't see nothing left from him, but I, I think, I think that it, it, you know, playing amongst better players on a regular basis will, will help him improve. There's no end. Um, for me, in terms of the price tag, it is the pressure that comes with it. You know, highest uh, one of the highest fees in Premier League history will be the highest uh, English player, uh, fee for an English player of all time as well, beating what Jack Grealish had. Um, and you saw perhaps how Grealish felt that weight of pressure in that first uh, season at Manchester City. Of course, there's other things as well, you know, adapting to a new style of play, a new city, a new home. The good thing for Rice is that because he's staying in London, he won't have that, you know, having to adapt to a new place to live and stuff. I'm sure he'll pretty much stay in the same house and, and the route to training won't be too much different in the morning. But it is that pressure and how you deal with that pressure of, you know, I know, I know it sounds silly, but you, you know, you go back to, um, and I can't remember the player off the top of my head, I'm really struggling in, I feel bad for it. But there was a player, um, you know, going years and years back when, you know, the fees were still in the hundreds of thousands, but I think it was, they didn't want to make him the first million pound player, wasn't it? So rather than pay a million pounds, they paid 999,999 pounds. And as silly as that sounds, it kind of, it probably took the pressure away a little bit, you know, because there wasn't that added, oh, he's the first one. And of course, yes, Grealish was the first hundred million pound player. So there is that little caveat taken away from it, but it's the fact that, that Rice will be the most expensive uh, English player of all time in the Premier League does kind of, add a little bit of pressure to it. People will be watching and kind of, you know, as you said there, you know, has he justified that fee in this game? It's not just, you know, has he justified the fee over the season? It will be every game has he justified the £105 million fee. Um, of course, it's, uh, you know, add-ons involved in that, et cetera, et cetera. It's not, a, you know, a flat £105 million, but but that's what it could total. Yeah, so he'll have to justify that, you know, not just over the course of the season, but, but game by game, right? Absolutely, game by game. He has one bad game and you'll have people go... Ah, see, I told you it wasn't worth 105 million pounds. And that's that's the difficulty that comes with it here. Hard to put a price on players these days, I think, because, you know, as we've said on this podcast previously, it's easy enough to say, okay, you know, what do you expect from a, a, a striker? You know, I need to justify 105 million pounds, probably 40, 50 goals a season. You know, for a goalkeeper, if they were to go for that much, you're probably looking at, you know, 30 clean sheets in a Premier League campaign or something ridiculous like that. It's easy enough in, in various different positions. But when you are probably someone like Rice in that kind of holding, you know, a little bit deeper in midfield, um, you know, because again, if it's an attacking midfielder or winger, you'll say I need X amount of assists or X amount of goal improvements, and it's easy to put, a, 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 it's easy to quantify it. But Rice will do a lot of the stuff that will go unseen, go behind the scenes that you won't necessarily pick out. So you know, you'll look at the base stats and you'll see, oh, well, he's not scored in six weeks, and then you start to think, oh, is he justifying 105 million pounds? but he may have got interceptions or tackles or blocks and other little things or his past success rate might be, you know, exceptionally high. Um, and that is probably more where he might struggle with this fee. Um, you know, the market's, the market's gone ridiculous, um, you know, at this point, and we know that, um, that it's, it's skewed so much. Um, and to say, is he worth 105 million? I think, you know, kind of, you have to think what that would have been worth probably five, six, seven years ago. Um, would he be worth... 30, 40 in those previous markets, probably. So he's, he probably is 105 million. It's just that fees and figures have, have inflated so much. But as I say, the biggest thing for him is that pressure that comes with being this 105 million pound player. 
he's he's got he's got the mindset to deal with it, but there will be tricky moments because this spotlight will now be firmly on him because of the size of this fee. I'm sure he'll deal with it, but as I say, there it will be when those first sticky moments come in and people start saying, "Oh, what's he doing? Is he justifying the fee?" That will kind of have to uh, be a real test of his character. I think. What do you make of Man City's involvement? They kind of got involved in the negotiation, sort of not quite out of the blue, but a little bit out of the blue. Um, did they drive the price up? Was it a, a bit of, I don't, don't know what the word would be, but a bit of manoeuvring from them to weaken a rival's transfer kitty or were they genuinely interested in paying 80, 90 million pounds for Declan Rice and 100 million you know, a bit too rich for them? No, I think, I think they had interested him, but for, as you say there, you know, there's, it's, <laughs> You know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, I don't know why I'm about to liken it to Bargain Hunt, but I love a bit of Bargain Hunt. So, you know, stick with me here. But you'll hear, you know, kind of, you'll watch it in the auction. You kind of think you'll see someone ticking along, ticking along, and they'll put a bid in and then they won't bid again, you know, and you're kind of like, but, but why would you do that? And it's probably because, you know, Man City have other targets lined up. You know, yesterday, the fact is, is that they went out and spent, uh, you know, close to 25, 30 million on, on Mateo Kovacic in terms of add-ons and everything else involved in that fee. So in terms of their, you know, like everyone else, they might be a, a massively rich super club and they might have won the treble, but they will have a budget that they have to stick to because of these FFP rules. Josco Vardy was coming in for £77 million as well. Manchester City may have looked at the deal for Rice and kind of thought, right, this is the absolute maximum in terms of what we can afford here. And that's what they offered. They probably may have been a little bit scoped for more, but what Arsenal came back with, they probably felt, do you know what? We probably can't match it. And yeah, you're kind of, you, you are right in that respect. I do think it has driven maybe the price up a little bit. I think in all of this, um, you know, there's one winner and it's West Ham um, and they're laughing and we to the bank at this one. I know, you know, there's still, uh, the finer details of the negotiations are still yet to be ironed out in this deal, you know, in terms of how long um, this fee is paid over, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but West Ham will be very, very happy to have got a fee of £105 million out of this for Declan Rice. Um, whether or not Manchester City's interest has driven that up slightly and, and kind of strengthened their hand a little bit, um, you know, possibly uh, we've all played football manager. I'm not saying that that's realistic in life, but we've all played football manager and there's been bidding what was involved in certain players and you maybe spend a little bit more than you would like because a rival's got involved and, and you know, so on and so forth. Um, but I think there was, you know, genuine interest there. It's just the fact that, you know, they're, they're looking at strengthening other positions. They've probably got other targets as well that they think, okay, we don't want to spend that much on Rice, but we can get a similar player in a similar mould. Um, and let's be honest, you know, Manchester City rarely hit dud notes on the Pep Guardiola in the transfer market, you know, say for maybe Sergio Gomez last year and, and perhaps in Lito in years gone by, they kind of have this way of finding players that, you know, aren't necessarily maybe these high profile players that you expect them to be linked with, but they bring them in and, and they do a phenomenal job. And I think we might see that again with City now that they've missed out on Rice, that they'll have, you know, targets two or three on the list that aren't as high profile, that aren't as big names. But with that means that they don't cost as much. And again, playing into that whole FFP idea that they're able to stick within those realms. Whereas if they were to go and match after, it may have stretched them that little bit too far. Yeah, you look at, you know, from West Ham's perspective, they wanted 100 million plus and they've not had to move from that at all. And it feels to me like Arsenal tried to lowball them early on, tried to get that negotiation in, but ultimately they've ended up paying absolute top dollar for a very good player. It does feel like they've they've overpaid to me. It feels like a hundred million plus for a player who wanted to leave West Ham, whose contract was, you know, coming to an end. 
it felt like Arsenal should have had more negotiating power and West Ham should have been the ones trying to, you know, compromise. But it seems to have happened the other way that Arsenal have ended up paying top dollar and West Ham have just stuck to their guns and got what they wanted. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We'll switch, though, now to your team, Ned, Harry Kane, to Bayern Munich. Offer reportedly rejected of £70 million. Um, so I suppose the, the question is, is should Spurs sell him? And is that an opening bid from Bayern Munich? And is there scope for that improve? Or do you think Bayern, uh, this is what we're paying, and if you don't want it, then we're out? I think similar to where you said about um, Arsenal potentially putting in a low offer first, kind of testing Moritz and, and kind of seeing how it went. Um, I think Bayern Munich would be doing the same for Harry Kane. Um, you know, I, I, every team would love Harry Kane and for Spurs to lose Harry Kane, you know, if it's now or, or probably next summer. And let's be honest here, it is probably going to be next summer. I, I don't, unless Hayes Postacoglu is able to to build a, a kind of team together that can challenge for a Premier League title this campaign, I don't envisage Harry Kane being at Spurs beyond this season which then makes it a difficult situation post the I'm not saying sell Harry Kane at any point before I go any further in this answer I'm not saying sell Harry Kane but I can see an idea behind it post has been brought in to change Tottenham to, to start a rebuild it's very hard to do a rebuild when the one man that you would rebuild around you're pretty confident won't be there this time next year how do you start setting up your team, bringing in players? You know, any team would build their squad around Harry Kane if they had him. That is a given. So it would make life very difficult for Ange Postacoglu to try and rebuild a squad, bring in players that maybe play to Kane's strengths or if he's looking at tactics or, or other things to kind of, okay, well, I'll bring this player in. He'll fit in well with Kane, but Kane will be gone in 12 months. It, it makes that job, you know, exponentially more difficult. Likewise as well, if Spurs were to get a nice fee for Harry Kane, um, and I don't think Daniel Levy will accept anything below three figures, if we're brutally honest. And again, whether or not someone wants to pay that, that, that remains to be seen. But I think Daniel Levy will be holding out uh, for, for three figures uh, for sure, uh, even though he's only got 12 months left to run on the contract and will probably leave for free next summer. But again, if he is to get a sizable fee, then that allows Spurs to go back and reinvest in the squad and not have to worry so much about, you know, kind of the, the, the whole FFB situation and kind of balancing the books and making sure that you're not spending too much in the window. Um, it, yeah, I, 
it sounds tough. Spurs shouldn't and won't want to sell Harry Kane, but given where they are now and and their trajectory that they're looking at heading at, I mean, look, you know, you only have to look at, at Liverpool, for example, uh, for for a really good recent example of of how you make it work. You know, Liverpool sold Felipe Coutinho for 140 million pounds in what was it uh, January 2018, wasn't it? So to then fund the deal for we might have been 17, sorry, but around that phase anyway, um, when he was flying for Liverpool, brilliant player for Liverpool. And they sold him and agreed to a deal to sell him. So that meant that they could go out and bring in Virgil van Dijk. And they still managed to make probably, in terms of the two deals at least, probably still made the guts of about four, uh, 50 million profit on it, um, which again allowed them to reinvest elsewhere. Now, at the time, you would have said, oh, you know, Liverpool selling one of their best players and van Dijk is an untested centre-half. Now you look back and you go, that was the, that was the deal of the century. You know, what a, what a smart move. And I think Maybe that has to be the appreciation for Tottenham here is that, you know, selling Kane might be a necessary evil to allow them to rebuild successfully and rebuild a squad that isn't going to have their star man ripped out this time next year and also to fund that rebuild as well. It's a tough one. You know, of course, we'd love to see him stay and, you know, break the Premier League record at Tottenham and, and be part of Antros Coglu's title winning side next season. But we're not going to get money for him next summer and th- there are offers on the table this year. So... It's a, it's a, yeah, it, it pains me to say it, but I think you have to be realistic and I think Spurs maybe need to cash in. I'm not saying 70 million, um, you know, it would be the, yeah, as I said, getting up towards three figures before Levy even accepts anything, um, but it might be best for Tottenham's long-term interests, um, you know, past even next season, next summer when, when Kane will inevitably leave on the free if he doesn't leave this year, it might better serve, you know, Short-term pain for long-term gain is what I'm telling myself. Do you think Spurs, in a way, owe it to Harry Kane to ask him right now what he wants to do? You know, he's been a, I know, I would say a loyal servant. I know he had that summer a couple of years ago where he was trying to move to Man City, but largely an academy product who's done the club very well and has helped them into an era where they've, until this past season, qualified for Europe for basically 15 straight years, you know, and he's been an instrumental part of that. Do you think Tottenham should be asking Harry Kane, look, do you want to move to Bayern Munich? Where do you want to go? And we will try and facilitate that move. Because to me, I know that football is a business, but I also think that sometimes with a player like Harry Kane, who's been so special to the club, he should have some say in what his future is. And what is the point in Tottenham wasting a year of his career finishing sixth or seventh in the Premier League, which is probably where they're going to finish. I know you're a Tottenham fan, but that's, roughly where they're looking at. They're certainly not going to be really competing for honours unless they do well in a domestic competition. I just think that Tottenham, in a way, owed to Harry Kane to find out what he actually wants to do and try and facilitate that for him. I think those conversations have been ongoing. Um, I, th- I think it's clear, you know, the, the reports overnight suggest that, that, you know, it's been mentioned to Spurs that he has been, you know, looking to move. Of course, there's the talks that personal terms have already been agreed between, uh, you know, Kane's agent slash brother and his father um, have held talks with Bayern Munich and, and kind of, you know, you'd see that. And I think that kind of, you know, tells you that the talks have been going with Spurs. But again, you know, you can say that and we'll try and help you and we'll try and move you on. And I'm sure that, you know, basically it's the same situation as, as West Ham and Declan Rice. You know, David Sullivan came out and said uh, Rice would be allowed to leave West Ham even before I think they'd finished engraving the trophy on the Europa Conference League. <laughs> you know? um, and it's that same situation it's like yeah yeah we will you know we will allow you to move 
on the caveat that these teams that are interested in you pay the money that we want. And, and you know, we, we had those negotiations, three bids for Arsenal. The third bid's still not been accepted, as we say, but, you know, kind of it's just a finer point about how long the instalments will be and how many instalments and over how many years, et cetera. And I think that's the same, you know, it, it, that will be the same point with Kate is that, you know, Spurs can say to him, you know, Harry, you've been great for us. And if you would like to leave, we may let you leave. But those teams have to hit this money for us or else it's not happening. Um, and again, you know, he's a senior player. He's probably going to end up, if he stays at Tottenham this summer, going to end up with the captain's armband for the season as well with Hugo Lloris set to move on. Um, so you would suspect, you know, even even before that vice-captain, he's a senior player, he would, you know, the club kind of and him are in not, you know, open discussions. They're not tapping on the door and, you know, he's not having tea and biscuits every day with Daniel Levy and the rest of the board. But, you know, they kind of know... They know him. They know what they what he wants, and and kind of I'm, I'm sure those conversations have been happening. But they're all well and good to have them until someone meets the the, the price that Spurs want for him. It doesn't really change the the situation. I think for him. We'll move now on to another Spurs transfer. James Madison, forty million pounds apparently is the fee. Um, is that a good move for Tottenham? And do you think? James Madison, he was heavily linked with Newcastle as well. Do you think he's seeked reassurances on what's happening with Harry Kane or do you think he's just happy to get out of Leicester and, and start playing at the higher end of the Premier League? I wonder if they told him the number 10 shirt was available and let slip that he might be moving on if they if they were kicking in the breast. No, I think I think James Madison is happy to be in the Premier League. I know Newcastle were looking at him and I think the lure of Newcastle uh, would have been better if they had firmed up their interest Um you know, playing Champions League football and the trajectory that they're going on, I think they're more upward. Um, but I think he's a good player for Spurs. I think he could fit in quite well, um, especially with Postacoglu's style and how he wants to play. If he plays him kind of as that creative midfielder in the hole. You know, I hate when I see Madison play on the wings for England and, and when he was playing there for Leicester. I don't think that's his best position. I think, you know, when he's like a, you know, you see, I think his vision's good. I think his passing's good. I think his technical ability is good. He just lacks that kind of bit of pace for me on the wing, whereas where he's playing in the hole, I think he can do that that job a whole lot better um, and I think he'll be a good signing for Spurs I think you know he would want to play with Kane I'm sure again you know like any any international you know players they they speak to their international colleagues you know should I come and join Tottenham and he would have you know probably sent that message to Eric Dyer and Harry Kane um, and unfortunately there's not really too many other Tottenham players that have been in and around the England squad since Madison's been recalled for him to message um, but he would have got the lowdown from them and kind of spoken to them about it and kind of um, you know, likewise as well, anyone that maybe works that he knows that that you know played on the postcocle at, at Celtic, perhaps you know through you know other contacts and and everything else there, um, he would have done his homework, he would have done his research. But I think he, you know, by and large, is is he is for his England chances at least. You know, I'm not saying he would have gone to you know, yeah. You know, there are other clubs that maybe in the Premier League could have put in a 40 million pound bid that he you know may have. You know, say for example if Fulham had done it or Sheffield United or whatever I'm not saying that they were interested in him but he may not have been so keen to jump ship there but you know kind of Tottenham still has that little bit of luster I hope I I I, I, I for that day when we had massive luster again but a little bit of luster um, and you know playing for Tottenham rather than playing for, for Leicester in the championship is going to do his England chances uh, the, the world of good and I think that kind of played into it as well and it allows him now to focus, you know, be there for the full pre-season. He's not coming into a squad late. He can kind of hit the ground running at Tottenham uh, and hopefully start the season uh, in great form as well. Does he address an area of weakness for Spurs? I think 
if you look at it and if Harry Kane stays, you've got Son, Kulusevski and then Madison in there. That, that feels to me like a very good front four. It is, it is, um, and it addresses an area that I think, you know, we've we've kind of really lacked since, you know, both Deli Alley and, and Christian Eriksen um, departed. You know, that that was Spurs' interchangeable front four, wasn't it? You know, they'd all puff up all over the place and, and doing everything. And, you know, Christian Eriksen left, Deli Alley left soon after, and now there's only two remaining. You kind of, they've not, that, that number 10 role, especially, I know Harry Kane wears number 10 shirt, but you know what I mean, in the hole behind the striker. He's missed that. And I know he's kind of adapted his game a little bit more and he does drop deep and, and kind of whether or not you could kind of sustain Madison and Kane in the same team. I don't know. It might be harder, but um, I'm sure Madison will adapt. I'm sure Kane will adapt. And if they, you know, if Kane is to stay at Tottenham, they can both get the best out of each other. But yeah, we've lacked that little kind of, you know, you wouldn't say Fox, but you know what I mean? That kind of, you know, that really clever player that can kind of, you know, play the passes probably since Ericsson left. Um, we've we've missed that in the, in that position, um, and yeah, hundred percent it addresses it. And I think the way that Postecoglou wants to play as well, I think it will uh, he'll he'll fit in very nicely in that position. Okay, we'll move on to some quick rumors now. AC Milan targeting Christian Pulisic feels like I don't know if if Pulisic was to leave Chelsea, it would feel like almost a bit of a a wasted era. I really like Christian Pulisic. I thought he had a really big potential to be a very very good player I remember him scoring I think it was a hat trick at Burnley uh, a few years ago and, and was really impressed but it just hasn't worked for him at Chelsea do you think it's it's time for them to move on from him I think so um, you know it's, it's not just one manager that's decided he doesn't like him they've had several they've had a rotating door and none of them could kind of find a way to fit him in I mean I think even a few times we saw Thomas Tuchel using him as a, as a wing back as well um, it is a shame there is a, a, a really good player there uh, in in the potential that he's got. He's not realised it at Chelsea. And I think um, for all parties, Chelsea with their bloated squad, Pulisic uh, for wanting to get his career back on track and AC Milan for getting a good player. It's, it's a deal that will suit all parties. It's one that you can see working well. Um, but clearly uh, AC Milan are kind of looking at Chelsea and thinking we can go shopping here because I think it's Ruben Loftus-Cheek as well. So maybe they'll be on the same flight together. Save, save on the airfares and save on the fees. Get them on the same flight, both probably extra legroom seats as well on a Ryanair deal, uh, and get them across to Milan. But I think they'll be getting a, a good player who can hopefully realise his potential that bit more than he than he was able to at Chelsea. Roberto Firmino uh, left obviously Liverpool this past summer. He's reportedly moving to the Saudi Pro League, so you know he is over the age of thirty, so he fits that usual demographic of player that like the same. What do you make of that one? You know, I think he still had plenty to offer for a top end. European club you know I could have seen them maybe moving to a Barcelona and, and you know helping out there it felt to me like he had much more off I think he's only 31 um, but Saudi Pro League that's a good move for him he might have had plenty to offer top clubs in Europe but it's whether or not top clubs in Europe had plenty to offer him in comparison to a deal from Saudi Arabia I'm not going to you know I'm not going to moan too much and say oh you know disgusting he's, he's taking the money but you know football's a short career yes he's made plenty of money already but if someone comes walking along at the age of 31 and goes here's another truckload of money for you um and he's he's won everything as well you know i know he could probably go to you know barcelona or win the league or win the champions league again but he's got the premier league title he's won everything else with liverpool um i'm not you know the hunger may not necessarily have been there as much as as you know had he not won every single trophy he could have done with liverpool 
Um, so yeah, good luck to him. Um, you know, you're right. He's still a good player, and he'll he'll bring quality to that league as well. Um, and, it, and it'll be a good addition uh, to that to that league. But yeah, I think uh, as I said at the top, it wasn't a case of what he could offer top clubs in Europe. It's a case of what they could offer them him. Uh, and it just wasn't able to match the, the deal from Saudi Arabia, clearly. David De Gea, uh, this was a, a big one yesterday. Contract U-turn. So reportedly Man United had a deal that agreed in principle with him and then pulled out of that at the last minute. That suggests to me that De Gea must be finished as a Manchester United player. I mean, I know from my perspective, if I was offered a contract and it was agreed in principle and you've done the, the handshake agreement and then, you know, they say they don't want to do that contract anymore. I think you would be inclined to be like, well, okay, I'm going now. Do you think that's him finished at Manchester United? Oh, massively, yeah. Um, you know, we'd be, be fairly surprised if we see him in the Manchester United shirt again. But what it does do as well is that it sends a worrying message to the rest of the players, those that have stayed there. You know, this isn't a player that's turned up three years ago and, and wasn't, it was in and out of the side and wasn't a key figure in the dressing room. This is a stalwart of that team that's been there over a decade, has been their number one for that period. So this is going to do damage to the other players as well that are there, that kind of, you know, some of those that have got deals that are running out are thinking, am I going to be tra- treated the same way? Are they, you know, are we going to see the same level of treatment here, the same level of, let's be frank, disrespect, I think is the, is the one way to sum this up. Um, so the ramifications that this will have, you know, was it working out for United with the Hayat, no. Was it bad management to offer him a contract in the first place? Probably, because he's not compatible with how they want to play under Eric Ten Hag. Both levels are, you know, that that's a that's a level of bad management there in the first place. You could see as clear as day that he wasn't working under Eric Ten Hag. So to offer him a contract in the first place was bad management. But to then, as you say there, offer him the contract, have it agreed in principle, and then back out of it, it's just diabolical. Imagine, you know, anyone listening to this if, you, if that happened to you in your workplace, just imagine how embarrassed and disrespected you would feel. Um, so in that respect, yeah, I don't think David Ayer is inclined to listen to anything that Manchester United have to say to him, let alone any further offers. Um, and, uh, you know, he'll go and find a club elsewhere, even Europe or against Saudi Arabia being mentioned as potential destination. But just all round, bad management to offer him a contract in the first place, absolutely diabolical management to then go back on that agreement. You know, I, I would agree. I remember talking to somebody when I was at Sunderland about, Sunderland Football Club that is, about this kind of thing and how you should look after players because players talk. It's a very small industry. And if you go right by a player, they may convince a future player that you're trying to sign that these are, you know, it's a good club, it, it, they look after you properly and that can help you sign players. Whereas I think you're right, players now looking at Manchester United would maybe go, well, the snake to here who's been there for 10, 11, 12 years and would they do the same to me? So I think you're, you're dead on that. I think it's a strange, very strange from Manchester United to have done that. Um, we'll move now to Liverpool. Um, I don't see much legs in this one, but Liverpool reportedly interested in Valverde from Real Madrid. That's via a Catalan outfit, El Nacional. So take that with a, a grain of salt, I suppose. £77 million doesn't feel like the type of money Liverpool would be spending on a player. No, especially after, you know, kind of all the talk about the Bellingham deal and why that kind of came apart because they missed out in the Champions League. They didn't have as much money to spend this summer. So it does seem, you know, either Liverpool have found uh, £77 million down the back of the sofa somewhere potentially or 
um, that you know uh, this this Catalan uh, outlet are having a little bit of fun because it does seem strange, you know, especially in in Spain, you know, the rivalry between Barcelona from from Catalonia uh, and from Real Madrid as well is, is obviously well documented. You know, for us, it'd almost be like the Evening Standard reported on, yeah, probably reporting on David de Gea making a move elsewhere or, or leaving Man United. You know, the London Evening Standard doing that. It, it would it, it just seems a little bit odd this whole. Deal, you know the fact that it's being reported almost by a rival publication from Real Madrid, and and the fact, as we said there, that, that Liverpool haven't necessarily got as much money as they would have liked in this window to go out and spend seventy seven million pounds on a player like Valverde, who is a quality player nonetheless. But I just don't know whether or not Liverpool are in that market for him this summer. Yeah, it feels like if you're going to spend seventy seven million pounds on Valverde, why not just go the whole hog and get involved in the Bellingham sweepstakes? To me. Um, so yeah, I don't see that one happening. Uh, last one we're going to touch on. Uh, Luton Town have made their first signing, Ogbeni from Rotherham United. Uh, I think there was a little bit of, I don't want to say backlash, but I think a lot of people on Twitter were um, sort of saying this is not a very inspiring signing. Speaking as a Sunderland fan who's watched a lot of championship football, Ogbeni is a decent player. Uh, is he a Premier League player? Probably not. Do you think this shows where Luton Town are? I think it's been a long time since we've seen a Premier League team come up in their first signing just before pre-season start and being a, a Rotherham United player on a free transfer that feels very not Premier league <laughs> No, but then we have to remember, you know, Luton are probably the, you know, are they trying to make sure that they don't, you know, kind of spend beyond their means and that they kind of don't stretch themselves? Because again, we've seen clubs come up and do that, that, that they've spent, you know, too big, too much um, and, and they've kind of struggled for it. Um, you know, the right way to do it, I think, was when Burnley came back up on the Sean Dyche the first time in 2014-15, didn't spend beyond their means and that meant that they could kind of get that first season, get the money back in and then they, you know, went down, came back up the season after and became stalwarts. Um, you know, you're right in that Ogbené isn't the most, you know, high profile names there, but you know, they've, they've handed out a new deal to Luke Berry. Luke Berry's been with Luton since they were up from League Two and never got linked with a Premier League moving in that time as well. Obviously came through at Cambridge, had a spell at Barnsley where it didn't work out at high level, has worked out from a high level at Luton, uh, having gone to him in League Two and, and worked his way up with them. Um, but that to me says that, that Luton want to do it this way, want to do it the responsible way, you know, kind of make sure that, and, and I think it kind of probably, yeah, does it stem back to when they got their fingers burned and were in administration towards, you know, and, and got relegated down to non-league football? It probably does. They probably, you know, the, the, that board there are Luton fans now at the minute. They are Luton fans through and through that would oversaw those bad times, drag the club from that and back up to the Premier League. You know, it's going to be an adventure for them this year. They'll enjoy that adventure, but they're going to make sure that they can enjoy further adventures rather than overstretch themselves, perhaps. You know, I'd love to see them stay up, but, you know, I th- you will get even the most optimistic of Luton fans that know it will be difficult. And so perhaps they may be safeguarding their own future by, you know, bringing in players that, you know, Ogbeni would do a good job for a team in the championship. Would he be able to step up in the Premier League? We're about to find out. I understand why they wouldn't be as happy with him and, and maybe other signings that they're expecting and so on. But from a logical point of view, I think, I think, and a, the financially sound point of view, I think Luton are doing this in a, in a, in a good way, assembling, the, you know, a, a squad that can compete, that will be difficult, play to their strengths, um, and if the worst happens this year, they're still in a good position next year when they're back down in the championship to attack it again and, and do what Burnley did. Like I said, there, you know, take the medicine, go down, come back up, and, and establish yourself in the Premier League. That second time that you come back up. You see, for me, I, I worry 
about Luton because they had players on loan last season that Marvellous Nakamba was on loan, Cody Drama also on loan and you know there hasn't been noises that they're coming back and you just look they look weaker than what they did when they came up and you know they already were a playoff team they didn't go up automatically I would fear that they are going to be in the realm of maybe not as bad as Derby were but you know speaking as a Sunderland fan we had the 15 point and 19 point season I can see them being that bad and I think a lot of people make them bold predictions often when teams come up for the first time but I don't think we've ever seen a team come up who is so clearly not a Premier League football club the stadium the facilities the transfer budgets that they're going to have it feels to me for the first time in a long time we're going to have a team that there's such a wide gap between what they have because even when Huddersfield came up a few years ago they were they were probably the closest and most similar team but they did spend quite a bit of money I remember they bought Steve Mounier they bought in Alex Pritchard who cost them a, a pretty penny so yeah anyway but we'll wrap that up there on Luton Town and hopefully their fans aren't too angry at me for predict. maybe I'm just bitter about the playoffs um, but thanks Ned for, for joining us today and thanks for listening everyone please remember to subscribe if you enjoyed listening and enjoy the rest of your day and we'll look forward to some more crazy transfers in the coming weeks <laughs> <laughs>